It's Radio Free 501C, the podcast of Rogue Tulips Consulting. I'm your host, Cecilia Sapp, and we're so excited to be back for Season 6 and continue bringing you outstanding ideas and thought leaders and different ways of thinking. So don't forget to subscribe because you're not going to want to miss any of it. This week, I'm joined by returning guest and one of my favorite guests, Dean West of Association Laboratory. And we're going to be talking about looking forward 2024, data decisions, and what's next. Welcome to episode 229. It's Monday, February 19th, and that means it's time for another episode of Radio Free 501C brought to you by Rogue Tulips Consulting. Thanks for joining us this week. I'm your host, Cecilia Sup, and to our global audience, good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, wherever you may be. In the United States today, it's President's Day. Originally, we started celebrating the birthday of George Washington and Abraham Lincoln. I always thought that was kind of interesting since number one and number 16. But on this day, we think of all our presidents and thank them all for their service because frankly, it's a really hard job and nobody's ever happy. So happy President's Day to all of our past and current president. Uh, So anyway, we are here to talk to the president of Association Laboratory, Dean West, one of my favorite returning guests. And he's here to talk about one of my favorite data nerd dives, which is looking forward. And this year it's the, of course, 2024 edition. So Dean, welcome back. Would you like to to say hello and tell us something about yourself? Sure. Hi, everybody. Uh, uh, Association Laboratories celebrating its 25th year in business this year. So we're doing all sorts of fun stuff. I know it's, uh, it's, I never thought I would be working so long for my own company, but it's a good time. Uh, We do research and strategy consulting, of course, but we're the industry leader on the collection of sector research on the association industry itself um, through our Looking Forward brand. And I frankly encourage everyone to go to our website, associationlaboratory.com, because you can access now 10 different studies via the Looking Forward dashboard for free. And you can customize the data by trade or by professional or by state or by national. You can download it and use that to guide your conversations back at your association. And then, of course, we produce leadership events like our recent healthcare conference. So we've uh, really expanded into a lot of the competency development side. So it's been, it's been very interesting to, to learn what works and doesn't work from our association colleagues. Well, and let me also add happy 25th anniversary. Thank you very much. I- yeah. Always enjoyed working at Association Laboratory during the time I was there. Um, look back on it fondly. So, uh, boy, and yeah, we had a lot of fun. So, we did have but a lot the of company's fun, yeah. the company's really grown a lot, and it really expanded, and it's so wonderful to see this because I remember when Looking Forward first started, and it oh, was yeah. more of a qualitative study, and now it's grown into this wonderful environmental scanning sector review report right. that builds on previous data. So couple of big things to cover. I, you know, we're not going to dive into everything about the report because we want people to come look at it for themselves and check out the dashboard. But what was, were there any big surprises this year? I think there was um, not a big surprise. I think what we're seeing is thing, it's like watching a, a glacier come towards you. You can see it coming. You know, it's coming closer every day until suddenly you look out your window and it's right beside you. Um, you and I are discussing earlier, for example, um, looking forward has predicted the workforce crisis for over a decade now. Um, uh, that's been top of mind. Um, uh, vertical integration within industries, mergers and acquisitions, and the impact on the decision to engage long time. What I found interesting this year, for example, um, as I was saying, you know, 52% of people indicated the AI 
was going to have um, uh, strong implications on their members' lives and stuff like that. And I don't think that should surprise anyone. What should surprise someone is that's from seven years ago. Um, now it's more than 70%. So the, the study itself has become a good um, predictor of forces we believe will subsequently impact the association business model. Now, I think the biggest surprise or the thing that's starting to become evident um, is not AI, is not some of the things that are in headlines. It's that one of the things that the implications we discovered out of COVID was people's historical behaviors had been disrupted, where before you might have joined or attended a meeting or all these things used to do for a year or two got disrupted. And so people are now evaluating um, what they want to do and where they want to engage with an association but they're evaluating in an environment where they've never had more choices. And we've estimated basically people who are 30 years and younger have effectively no historical experience with associations. So I have no experience with what associations provide or why they might be of value to me. And I've never had more choices outside of associations to be active, to get educated, to get content and community. So why should I be active with your association? And we see now like a gap between our X gen or millennial and X and baby boomer friends and our young millennial and Z generation friends, where the assumptions behind a lot of associations, frankly, um, that they're built around may not apply um, to the next group of people coming. And it's not a generational difference. It's not um, the way you read about it in books. It's that they don't know who you are, what you do, or why it has value to them. And they're making that decision now with um, no historical experience with you as an association. And they're making that decision where they've never had more choices. That's Well, and I think, do you think that is a reflection of the way we live now in society? Because we have so many apps, we have so many streaming channels, we have so, so many options for delivery services. I mean, is, is that just what this is? is? Is it a reflection of that, the way we're living? A little bit. Um, there, you know, uh, there's the old physics um, uh, thing, you know, a body in motion stays in motion, a body at rest stays at rest. Mm -hmm. And from a, a decision-making standpoint, think of paying your bills. You're paying your, your electric bill or you're paying your phone bill. Let's use the phone bill. Um, AT&T actually did a study on this. You're paying your phone bill every month and you're paying it and you're paying it and it's an auto pay out of your credit card. All of a sudden they, sh they call you and they say, hey, how would you like to save money? We, we've been monitoring your um, usage and we think you can save money in this plan. Well, the minute you decide to consider their upgrade or down, whatever it is, you suddenly ask yourself, well, maybe I should look at other carriers. So once you're in decision-making mode, all of a sudden you're thinking about other sources. Do I really go to the meeting? Do I really get value out of that newsletter? Do I really you know, care whether I'm a part of something that the association's told me about? The minute you're in decision mode, you start to consider alternatives. And there's never been more alternatives. So I think there was a lot of momentum, um, particularly membership. Uh, you know, I've always joined, I've always renewed, and you just write that check or you auto renew it every year. Well, the minute you didn't take advantage of the association, however you'd historically done it, you're in evaluation mode. Um, and right now we have a huge chunk of people, predominantly young professionals, in an evaluation mode, but they're not evaluating between you necessarily. It's not engage with you or not. It's do I do anything? Where do I get education? Where do I get community? Is it local? Is it national? Is it global? Et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So they've never had more choices out of that pie. Why you? How do you differentiate yourself as an association? 
Well, and do you think that the fact that many associations just keep doing the same old, same old, because that's the way we've always done it, that's that historical thing. But do you think that, and I don't know if this comes out in the data, do you think that they're shifting? Are they trying to shift or do they think they're just going to keep doing it and if you build it, they will come? Well, it's hard is the the really big insight. Um, One of the things we discovered um, a number of years ago, probably 10 years ago, um, in fact, in in conversation with Phil Corey, as you know, Cecilia, we were struggling with associations in strategic planning because one of the things we, we want to investigate is the the relationship between the member and the association. And the, and the trouble we had with boards in particular was they couldn't envision the association being something different than who it had historically been. And so I remember going to a trade association strategic planning industry after conversation with Phil and O'Hare very distinctly, and we changed our agenda where it wasn't about, because if you go to a board, you're like, what should you do? They'd say, well, we're a trade association, so we need a trade show, we need a lobbyist. That's what trade associations do. We started asking different questions about strategic roles. Um, What we tried to get at is, all right, what are the issues going on with your industry? Now let's create what a solution to those issues might be and not worry about what you've historically done. And that allowed us to get leaders to think more open-mindedly about how the association becomes a platform for member success. But it was hard. And then the pandemic hits and you say, well, what's the biggest issue? And they say the pandemic. But the issues they had pre-pandemic didn't go away. They just got um, absorbed into the broader pandemic. And so it's hard to get people with a long history of the association who have a very discrete or finite view of the association to be open-minded about what the association might do. It's just hard. And I think that's one of the struggles right now is leaders don't have a vision for some other thing. So um, a week ago, we did our healthcare conference. So we do a CEO healthcare CEO strategy summit um, uh, near O'Hare, we have never, it's our second year we've done it, we've never talked about membership. We've never talked about meetings. The product line of associations isn't the conversation. The conversation is um, how does the association business model in healthcare fulfill a different role in the life of a physician or a nurse or a healthcare executive? Because you can build product off that once you know what your role is in their lives. And so we have not had any conversations that you would expect to have at an association healthcare CEO summit um, about all the products of a healthcare association. And I think that's what a lot of associations are going to have to do is start asking ourselves, all right, if I had to set up an association today to be successful, given this competitive environment, given the tools available to me, because you get all the same tools as anyone else to serve this emerging audience and not serve them based on generational cliches, but on actual audience understanding, what would it look like? What would be similar? What would be different? So my last comment on that subtle change is membership strategies are really community strategies. It's not about bundled benefits that make it easier to buy. It's about creating a professional home for people, a concept we've investigated now for a number of years. That's a very different view of membership than what are the five services or newsletters we bundle together and have Cecilia and Dean pay for and I think we'll see some, we'll see a lot of experimentation on that over the next five years in particular. Well, I certainly hope we do because. Yeah, well, that's a good point. I hope so too. Yeah. It's like, I, I because really we, the nonprofit community overall, the whole profession and people who participate in it at whatever level, whether you're staff or volunteer or a supporter, 
Yep. It actually has a very long history in this country. And, and the problem with that is this model has been put in place back in yep. the 19th yep. century. And we're still doing this 19th century Agreed. model, yeah. uh, like the mini-me chapter model. I, I yep. know you don't usually test chapters in Looking Forward, but you know they, I love chapters and I talk about this a lot, but that model's got to go. The, the current well, the mini model has got to go because it's really not useful anymore and it's not helpful. And to your point about the yeah. number of choices out there, why do both? Why do the chapter and the national? There's not enough time. There's not enough money. There's not enough yeah. energy. And these are all the things that we ask of people. Yeah. You know, when we test the kind of the chapter value proposition, we invariably test as part of the national or global value proposition. Like you have to know where, which entity of your organization delivers the most value mm -hmm. to the person you're trying to serve. Right. I think the other issue with some of these groups, frankly, is it's related to chapters and some of these subcomponents is they end up creating uh very deliberative consensus-based governance systems that take forever to make decisions. Yes. And the the speed of change in the environment and the dramatic nature of that change does not favor deliberate decision-making. And so as you and I were talking a little bit earlier, what that does is create opportunities for competitors who are faster. Mm -hmm. And so you, you develop competitors as an association because you have failed to serve a market segment. That's what your competitor saw. It saw, okay, these CEOs, they're not being served. We'll serve them. This industry, it's not being served. We'll serve them. And they don't need everybody. They just need sufficient people to be active. And so the slower you are at making decisions, the more you use history to guide those decisions, the less likely you are to be successful in a dynamic and competitive environment. And I think having, I've called it a governance um, reformation, we need government governance reformation that allows for faster, better decisions that continue to incorporate the will of members and other stakeholders. That doesn't mean you have to put them on your board. It means you have to have a mechanism to understand what your members are going through and what they want out of you. Um, and I think we've got some groups that are experimenting with that right now. American College of Surgeons is one of our um, uh, clients, and they're actively engaged in um, a Voice of the Surgeon program to do just that as an example. Um, and others, I think, will follow that lead. That's a great idea. And, you know, I like that term governance reformation because this data that you gather every year and analyze and compare year over year to show the trends is not going to be helpful if there's not a mechanism in place to act on yeah. it. And, and that's really why we do need that governance reformation. So uh, I do want to be, you know, I don't want to uh, finish our conversation before we talk a little bit more about the workforce trend. Yeah, now, yeah. you and I, as we were prepping for the episode, we're talking about that, what you found. So could you explain for the audience some of the things that you found in the workforce sure. area? And and it is number one again. Again, uh, yeah. And then how it and then what were some of the other things you learned from that? Sure. So the workforce issue has been number one every year for more than a decade, except one year um, when COVID was number one um, and uh, workforce is number two. And we have a whole domain on workforce. And what's really stood out is one, it's been a continuing issue that presented associations with nothing but opportunities to take advantage of. Very few did, um, which I think is a missed opportunity. But when there is a workforce issue, particularly one that's, that's decades in the making, okay, and exacerbated by COVID, 
companies don't just stop. They find um, substitutes. One way to substitute is with technology. So if you've ever been to McDonald's and ordered via an electronic kiosk, that's what happens when you can't find somebody to um, order your McDonald's. The other thing we see, and which is now showing up in the data, though, is I want to hire someone from my company, a professional. And since I can't get somebody with the optimal qualifications, I get somebody with sufficient qualifications. And what that creates is what we call profession-on-profession combat. Um, for those in healthcare, scope of practices um, would be an obvious um, arena for that. Um, I hire, uh, I don't hire an accountant because I can't find one. So I hire a mathematician because at the end of the day, I need math done. Okay. Or I hire AI to do it, you know, and I put in an AI solution because it's not, it's a numbers game. Uh, does did column A match column B, you know, just oversimplify it. So what we're seeing now is competition between professional communities that's the professional profession combat, but where that shows up was a dramatic increase in competition between associations. Um, because now the actuaries and the accountants are their members are fighting each other over the one job, um, as an example. And the companies, which are larger, will train up whoever they hire because they're larger, more resource intensive. They don't need your help to if they can get me get me close on the math, I can teach you to do the rest as a company. Um, and so we're seeing a much heavier competition between the associations, national associations in particular, that represent those professional communities. So on really the looking forward, that comes up in the, and literally it comes up in a competition between professionals with different training. And there's a graph that'll show you the uptick. Um, it was big last year, it was sustained this year. Wow, that's so, you know, and is it similar? It because I also, first of all, I have gotten to go to the healthcare conference that you put on. I got to go a few years ago. It was excellent. Uh, so if you're in the healthcare area, check it out next time. But uh, working in healthcare policy for a good chunk of my career as well, uh, you see that professional combat. I love that, by the way. That's such a great term, professional profession combat. Uh, but it's sort of like between like allied healthcare professionals, like audiologists and otolaryngologists. Like, who do you go to? Do you think that's a similar, is that similar or am I mixing things? Well, it's similar and you're mixing things. So, uh, <laughs> so within healthcare, there is a, are very strong incentives to hire the, to, to use the cheapest individual that can provide the service. Okay. Um, and it's very distinct in healthcare. Okay. Not I, my healthcare friend, our healthcare friends, I know it's not, it's all very clear. Yeah. But like it's, uh, but you get licensed to do a thing. Okay. But it's based on certification, scope of practice in healthcare. I have a license in this, you have a license, something different. Maybe there's some gray area between us, but what we can do, what we're allowed to do in the setting is, is fairly defined. In other professions, it's more competency-based. So like, if you know how to do the thing, do I care if you're an electrical engineer or some subset of electrical engineering or mechanical engineer? Like, is there, you know, so think of a Venn diagram of professions. And I have a company at the end of the day, I need somebody to churn out some things. So I've done what I can in technology, but now I need someone who can, you know, maybe I hire a data scientist instead of an actuary because I can't find an actuary. So I've got one actuary to make sure everything is fine. I've got five data scientists that actually do the math because actuarial science is a, is a risk modeling. It's just a math test. You know, I say it like I could do it. By the way, I can't. So 
Um, so what you're seeing is as a company, you're not hiring people who are qualified to do the work. Um, you're hiring people who are sufficiently qualified to do the work and you're less concerned about the letters behind their name. Got it. And the difference being, and this is where they mix and is when you're required by law to have those letters. And so if I want to be a physician and practice as a physician, there's a very distinct training and, and, and validation of competency process, you know, to practice in the state of wherever, you know, but and a lot of groups there are not. But And then you get, well, yeah, and then you open that door to the whole state licensure yeah. uh, conundrum, which it really yeah. is, because yeah. it, it varies wildly from state to state. Yeah. But this is, well, this has been really a great overview of looking for data. And I think it's so cool that you have predicted several things that actually yeah, it's happen. Funny. It, it's amazing. You're like the Nostradamus of associations. So, oh, uh, there we go. That's what I needed. <laughs> That's going to be the hook for the 25th, right? You're yeah, Nostradamus. exactly right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think we, as I was trying to think of it, we, um, we predicted the workforce in 2012. Uh, M&A activity in 2012, for-profit competition to associations in 2014. Um, government is becoming more and more of a challenge structurally, not politically. That was 2017. AI was 2017. And changing audience and court and their corresponding needs uh, was 2021. So uh, it's got a pretty good track record. Um, and so the way for folks to use this is to go to Looking Forward Dashboard, download, uh, you know, you can separate like trade and professional. You can do it by, if you just want state groups, you know, customize it. There's almost 20 different ways you can customize the data, but use it as a guide give it to your staff team, give it to your board and say, this is what association execs across the, the spectrum of our industry think is an issue. Is this an issue for us? If so, how? And just use it to narrow the lines within that conversation. Um, it guides content choices. It guides, it's, it's basically a needs assessment of the association sector. Um, and so looking forward, impact is the environmental scan, one of the issues impacting members. In about a month and a half, two months, we do looking forward solutions. We test over 130 solutions to get a sense of what people are trying out there and what's working and not. Um, and then uh, we're going to do, there's a little in flux. We'll probably do a third study highlighting the challenges created by the environment. And we'll link those three. So what's impacting members? What are we doing about it? What are the challenges to success? It's going to be the cycle. Um, and that's new. That'll be new this year. Um, oh, but it's really a lot of data. Yeah, that's great. Well, this so uh, that is sort of a closing thought. But uh, you know, I always like to ask my guests for a closing mm -hmm. thought. So, what might be something you would like to pass on to the audience that yeah. you've learned from looking at this year's data and, and comparing it to previous mm -hmm. years? I think just how exciting it is to be an association. Um, mm -hmm leadership and management right now. Um, I've been working associations almost 40 years now, and a lot of association management used to be, you did your annual conference, you did your fall day on the hill, you did your newsletter, you did your journal, and next year you repeated it. And there wasn't much change, okay? Um, but now, the environment is changing dramatically, and it's going to challenge us to rethink the role of associations um, uh, on a wide variety of fronts. That's really fun to do. That's much more fun than doing the same old, same old every year. We have tools that you and I would have dreamed of having, you know, when we in our careers um, that would allow us to do things we never and just anticipated. Um, so, so we have all the same advantages everybody else has, 
We have communities that have a history with us as associations. And, and the executive class that's going to define the next association business model is currently at work. And it's us and our colleagues. And that's much more fun than um, just doing the same old, same old. The key to us being successful, though, is to get out of looking backwards and pretending anything will go back to 2018 or 19 um, and to actively and intentionally come to some agreement within our associations on what the future facing our members looks like, the implications on their lives, and the role the association plays as a platform for their success. And 25 years from now, we'll know if we're successful. Well, oh, well, yeah, hopefully we'll be around to see that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. So we can we'll get, applauded, get applauded when we rock across stage, yeah. <laughs> that's right. Probably more like wheel, but that's another story. Yeah, exactly. Uh, <laughs> that's great. Well, Dean, always love talking with you. Glad Bob's. you could come Thanks back. Thanks for having me. How can people get in touch with you if they'd like to ask you some questions about the data? Uh, so first, go to the data. It's associationallaboratory.com. It's called the Looking Forward Data um, Dashboard. Uh, you have to register once, so you never have to register again, but it's free to access, free to use, free to download. Encourage people to, to come to their own conclusions on it. If anybody wants to ask me questions about it, I'm at dwest, D-W-E-S-T, at associationallaboratory.com. Uh, and feel free to shoot me an email, um, interested in other people's perceptions and what people are doing with it. Um, there's other content on our website as well. Um, we're doing our best to try and capture what's impacting the association business model and what people are doing about it and always open people's suggestions on, on how to improve those things. That's great. Well, and, and you know, congratulations again on the 25th Thanks. anniversary. Yeah, but exciting. also so many years of looking forward i i still remember the first time we did it and you, you know yeah. it's really grown so much so kudos on that yeah. right thank you wonderful so okay well everyone we have to go rogue for now but we'll be back next time with another exciting episode so don't forget to subscribe or follow us so you don't miss anything coming up if you'd like to learn more about rogue tulips consulting and how we can help your organization bloom outside the box check out our website roguetulips.com if you're looking for cae education check out rogue tulips education it is rebranded from the 501c League program, but it's still the same great content. You can find that at the 501cleague.net. So thanks again for joining us. And on behalf of Dean and myself, we'll see you next time.